All right, I am assuming that most of you have your cell phones and you have on your cell phone, you have this thing called your weather app uh, that you check. And I'm assuming, maybe, uh, that most of you also put in other cities besides your current location uh, that you follow. So I maybe will put in, I do put in Folsom because I want to know if, oh, is it worth going to my brother-in-law's and have 15 degrees warmer or stay here? Um, or you, maybe some of the passes, you put Truckee or you put somewhere where you, you always watch the pass or maybe you, where some of your relatives live, uh, you want to see what they're enjoying or not enjoying. Uh, so one of the cities that I follow is where our kids live. Our kids are all at uh, Martin Luther College in New Ulm, Minnesota. Uh, and so this is, I usually laugh this time of year uh, because I'll look at what they're experiencing. So this was my screenshot from Wednesday, and it's snow, 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 cloud, 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 cloud. Maybe, if you're lucky, partly cloudy, and then cloud, 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 cloud. And, and, and so that's, that's kind of what they're going through uh, typically this time of the year. And yet it's not just the, the upper Midwest that maybe sees clouds this time of year. Some of you have connections to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Washington is rated the cloudiest state in America, uh, right, behind Oregon, or right in front of Oregon. Uh, some of you also have connections to the Northeast, and Northeast is often ranked uh, for some clouds. Now, we are fortunate, uh, depending on which study you look at, Reno itself is ranked anywhere from 5 to 10 as the sunniest cities in America. Maybe not this year, right? Um, I've heard a lot of talk about the gloom and the snow and the gray that we aren't accustomed to, and yet it's a beautiful uh, day today. Well, when we talk about weather, uh, Isaiah, in our lesson for today that we read earlier, is really playing weatherman. And I, you know, I, I wish I could turn this into a green screen and I'd be like pointing at the map like weatherman here. Uh, but he gives the weather report for two areas. Uh, called Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, which by way of reference, I added some cities there. You can see Nazareth, the, the city where Jesus grew up. That is in the land of Zebulun. And then uh, where he really did a lot of his adult ministry and where he hung out as an adult was the city of Capernaum. Uh, that was in the area of Naphtali. So he's kind of giving the weather report uh, for where Jesus eventually would live. And and I think uh, Isaiah takes this meteorologist thing, he's got it down to a science, uh, because when he gives his weather report, he gets it wrong. Um, no offense to any meteorologists out there, I know I have some meteorologist friends that maybe watch us once in a while, so I'm not saying you're always wrong, but we always joke, right? You can be a weatherman and get it right and wrong half the time, and you still got a job. Uh, that's kind of Isaiah. Uh, he, he gives this weather report about Zebulun and Naphtali, and he says, oh, it's just gloomy. And it's a land of darkness. Um, this is typically what the weather report looks like. So this is from Wednesday. Nazareth is sun, 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 sun. Um, it is definitely a sunny climate. And yet Isaiah says, no, it's gloomy. It's a land of darkness. Well, why? Obviously, Isaiah is not really talking about the weather. And you didn't come here today to learn about the weather. Oh, what Isaiah is talking about is, is completely different than that. When he, it's, it's important to understand a little bit of the context in which Isaiah writes. Isaiah writes around the year 700 years B.C., 700 before, years before Christ. And that's an important context whenever you read 
uh, the prophet Isaiah. There's, we, we read from Isaiah all the time. But what's going on in the world? What's going on in the history of God's people? Uh, so this is just after, if you've, you've, I know many of you came to our Wednesday and Thursday Bible class in Jonah. This is right after Jonah. And Jonah was, he had to go and preach to the Assyrians, which were these nasty people to the north, which were knocking on Israel's door. And they were about to come in and conquer and take people captive. Isaiah is right after that. Uh, the people have already come in from the north. If I were to zoom out, you'd see Assyria is just to the north of here. They've come in, they conquered, and, and who would be the first people who would take the brunt of this, this marching army? It'd be the land of Zebulun. It'd be the land of Naphtali. And, and so they were, they were humbled. Um, uh, they, were, they were taken captive. And that's what Isaiah writes here. He says, well, that's what he's referencing when he says, in the past, he humbled, he lowered the land of Zebulun uh, and the land of Naphtali, that they suffered. Uh, they were made insignificant. Uh, they, were, they were basically wiped off the map. That's what's going on. And that's kind of what they would see as what's causing them gloom, to making them the land of darkness. And yet it's not just the political status of these tribes, these, these I guess you'd call them states, uh, that, that Isaiah is referencing. He's also really talking about their spiritual status. They also were in a, a time of gloom, a time of darkness. I'm not sure if you caught it when I read through the, the lesson earlier, but it, it tells us where these people of, of Zebulun and Naphtali ran, whom they consulted when they were facing the, the enemies, facing tough times. Uh, they, were, they were facing, they went to mediums and to spiritists. Uh, they were trying to, they were connecting with people who would connect to the dead to help them with the land of the living. And, and Isaiah says, how stupid, right? Um, he says, why, why not inquire, he says here, why, should not people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living. And while that maybe seems silly to us, or maybe not so silly to us, it does beg the question, where do we turn? Where do we turn when we are in a time of gloom in our life? Where do we turn when it feels like that rain shower, that cloud is just always over our head? Uh, where do we turn when we feel like we are living in a land or a time of darkness. Uh, we maybe don't turn to mediums, but maybe we turn to media, right? We turn on our favorite channel, CNN or Fox News, to, to shed some light on the bad news, on the darkness of this world. Or maybe we go to our favorite social media platform, to Facebook or to YouTube or to TikTok or to Twitter, or whatever it is, so that, that those places, that media, uh, can shed some light on the darkness that you and I are experiencing. And I'm not saying you have to go home or, and cancel cable or, or delete all those apps from your phone. But it does beg the question. When you're struggling, when you have gloom, when you're in the land of darkness, where do you turn? Where do we turn? 
You know, if we turn to all those other things first instead of to God's word, which by self-description is a light for our path, is it any wonder once in a while that we find ourselves in gloomy times? Is it any wonder uh, once in a while that we find ourselves in dark spots? You know, Isaiah does not mince words here. Uh, when, he, when he goes on to say, he says, if anyone does not speak according to this word, or you could say if anything, whether it's media or, or any other person, if anything does not speak according to this word, what happens? They have no light of dawn. You continue to be in the dark. You continue to be in gloom. And so the warning here is, is rather strong. Uh, where do you turn? Uh, when, when time of gloom arises in your life. Now, to be fair, the darkness, the gloom that you and I experience is not always the result of the guilt uh, that we carry. It's not always the result of, of misdirected eyes or ears. Sometimes we experience gloom. Sometimes we experience a time of darkness just simply because that's life. Uh, we live in a world that is filled with sin and its effects. Last time I checked, 89508 or 89506 or 89441 or 89436 or 89523 or whatever other zip code you live in, last time I checked, none of those zip codes are the zip code for paradise, right? We live in a sin-filled world. And so there is going to be darkness. There is going to be some gloom. And Jesus, Jesus can relate. I mean, here's Jesus, this perfect son of God, right? Who always walked the path, the light in the, in the, in the light of God's word. I mean, he didn't just even stay in the right or lane or the left lane. He's, he's, he's right down the center, right? He, he never strayed. And yet, he experienced gloom. He experienced days, moments of darkness. And we got a glimpse of that in, in the gospel lesson for today, Matthew. Matthew shared these words. He said, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. John was his buddy. John was his friend. John was his cousin. John was his publicist. And, and so when, his, when he saw that his friend was hurting uh, numerous times throughout the scripture, we see how that affects Jesus. And that, that here his, his publicist, his cousin, is in prison. And, and, and maybe you and I can relate when we have people that are, are taken away from us or go away from us. Maybe they're in danger. Maybe we had a loved one who was, who was in jail or prison or who was in the hospital or, or who moved away. And, and that distance, or if they're suffering and you're not right with them, you, your heart hurts. You're in gloom just as much as they're in gloom, but so are you. And that's a little bit of what Jesus is experiencing here and, and other places in Scripture that you see he, he, he's affected by those when he, the ones that he loves are hurting. But you could also say that this is really a double gloom because not only is, is John in prison, what did that signal for Jesus? It really signaled that he was in danger too. John would usually get in trouble for pointing people to Jesus. So if he's getting in trouble, that doesn't make Jesus in a real safe spot. And so you see, he, 
this signals him to relocate, uh, to relocate his ministry. As it says here, it says, uh, he withdrew. He withdrew to Galilee. He was in the south part of Israel, uh, where like Jerusalem is, and now he, he withdraws to the north. Uh, so about 75, 90 miles, he goes away. And, and that maybe uh, doesn't seem like a big deal uh, that Matthew in, includes these words that he withdrew to Galilee, but it is, it is rather significant that Jesus moved his ministry. And, and Matthew understands the significance of these words because he ties them in to the words that we just read from Isaiah. He goes on to say, he says, he says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived at Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun, uh, and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And this sheds a little bit more light on Jesus withdrawing. We maybe think, oh, he just withdrew because he was scared. No, it just wasn't his time. He wasn't withdrawing from the darkness. He's actually, what does this share? He's withdrawing to the darkness. He understands that those people up north also needed to hear the gospel. He also knew that they would be living in gloom, that they would be living in darkness, and so he brought his light to them. People living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And you think about that. You think about the, that aspect of, of Jesus, that he, he goes to the darkness. He goes to the mess of our world. He goes to the gloom. He doesn't avoid it. You know, when I, I grew up in a... In a 1,500 square foot ranch house, uh, but we had a full basement, right? And that was, that was our play. My brother and I spent hours in the basement. I mean, we had all the thing. We had a ping pong table there. We had a bumper pool table. We had a dartboard, and on that wall, we had a Nerf hoop, and on that wall, we had a Nerf hoop, and we would just play full court basketball all day long, um, and it spent hours down there, completely safe. That was our home within a home, and yet every once in a while, you could hear our feet just rush up the stairs as quick as possible. Why? Because if you forgot to turn the light on at the top of the stairs when you came down, when you turned off the basement lights after playing, you'd be so scared. It's so dark. We had just spent hours down there, completely safe, right? But all of a sudden, as soon as it went dark, you know, let's get out of here. Not Jesus. Not Jesus at all. He runs to the dark. He runs to the gloom. And you apply that to our life. You know, I think sometimes we find ourselves, yeah, with that cloud over our heads, with that gloomy days where skies are gray, where we're living in the darkness and it's so easy to ask, God, are you there? God, don't you care? God, can't you help? And then you look at these words. Yeah, he can. He is the one who comes into the darkness. 
to bring his light. He is the one, a light has dawned, the people living in darkness. Not the people who, for whom everything is always going well, but the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And we maybe, you know, then go on and say, yeah, but how do I know that's for me? You know, how do I know he's not just talking about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but he's also talking to us. Because this was a habit for Jesus to continue to go to the darkness. He didn't hear, he, he withdraws from Judea to go to the darkness of Galilee. But he wouldn't stay there. A few years after Matthew writes, what does Jesus do? He withdraws from Galilee to another place of darkness. The darkest of places. A beautiful phrase that he puts in the New Testament is that he set his face back for Jerusalem. He set his face for a hill in the southern region of Judea to the darkest place ever as the clouds of God's wrath would roll in on a certain Good Friday. And there he hung in the darkest of days and where, where God, his Father's face, which was always shining in glory, turned away from him. And there Jesus hung, languishing in the darkness, crying out in the darkness. As he enters not just the shadow of death, but the reality of death. And as the evening shadows come in, what happens? They take his body, his lifeless body off that grave. They put it into a dark tomb where it's sealed, sealed in that darkness. But it doesn't stay that way. It's three days later, you know, he, he breaks through that darkness. He, he, he brings light into that darkest of places to assure us that these words are also meant for us. If he can break through the darkest of places, he can break into your darkness, whatever your darkness is. You know, I, I don't know if we always think about the lasting impact of Easter, and maybe it feels weird to talk about Easter when today is the last day that we have Christmas decorations up. But Easter, the victory, the light of Easter, is what brings light to every gloomy day of your life. I, and I think we know, oh yeah, it's a future, it's a future blessing that someday uh, our graves are going to be exposed to light when when Jesus calls us out of the grave when he comes on that last day. But, but we don't have to wait until the last trumpet to enjoy its benefits. It's there for you and for me today. You know, when I was writing this sermon, I, my, my phone dinged, or my, and I got a text, and it was just an annoying spam text. Or, but, but this is what it said. It said, uh, Joel, your solar report is ready. I didn't sign up for it, but my solar report is ready. But instead of being annoyed by that, what a beautiful picture that our Savior tells us today. Your solar report is ready. Right? Jesus the Son is already shining, giving you savings, giving you blessings uh, for your life. And that no matter what is going on in your life, you have that promise that because he broke the yoke 
of the burden of sin, because he broke through the light of death, because he comes into the darkness, a light has dawned for you. You know, there are so many beautiful Easter hymns that, that have this theme going, uh, that uh, it just I could have picked any one of them, but I, this one from, like the golden sun ascending, breaking through the gloom of night, on the earth its glory spending, so that darkness takes to flight. That is what Easter does. And, and Isaiah realized that too. Even though the land of Zebulun and Naphtali was living in darkness and gloom, and even though you and I are living in darkness and gloom, look at, look at what Isaiah says here. He says, Nevertheless, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are living or for those who are in distress. Those are your words today. And so keep the light on. Uh, keep the light on. Keep the light of the world on. Because by God's grace, you have seen that great light. His name is Jesus. He has dawned in your life to scatter the gloom, to scatter the darkness. He breaks through the darkness for you. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, we'll continue uh, with prayer.